Good morning, good morning. Hey, I've got to give a family report since you're my family. Um, just got back from moose hunting. I'm almost recovered. And uh, I have a selfie of Clay and I out in the field up, up in the Yukon looking for Bullwinkle. And then my next picture, Clay found it. And thank the Lord for moose meat. And you know what they call vegetarians, right? Bad hunters. So uh, anyway... We're very thankful. You know, I was raised on a farm. It's very interesting. My dad was a pilot, though, and he always went hunting. He came from Colorado. Hunting was part of his culture. And our, our family, he, they talk about this all the time. We would butcher cows and eat beef, but we would complain if beef was on the table. We got to where we liked moose so much. And so that's the culture I grew up in, and I'm perpetuating that with my kids and grandkids. So anyway, thank you, Jesus, for safety and for moose. Thank you for, by the way, thank you for praying for us. I know you were. I love, I love that you guys pray. Next one. This is an announcement that actually I think he's here. Is he here? Oh, he's gone. Anyway, he's in the back now, nursing probably. But my, my baby girl and her husband had our ninth grandchild while we were away. And uh, isn't that awesome? Miles, Miles Meisner. Here's another picture of of Haley and, and uh, the little guy. Such a precious, precious moment. And uh, I share these things with you guys because I know you, you care about us. And that's one of the things I want to thank you for. I, you know, being a pastor at church for many years now, there's ups and downs in pastoring, but there's way more ups than there are downs. And uh, you guys love my family so well. And all my kids and grandkids are part of this church family. They feel loved by you and accepted by you, and I can't thank you enough for caring for us. So I bless you and thank you for that. All right, you guys ready for the word? Some of you are. It's going to be a good word, but it's not going to be one of my normal words. It's going to be a little bit different. We recently decided to preach out on Nehemiah. Here's another picture I want to show you real quick. Is because we stepped into this building project, and that's one of the reasons and this is Daniel and Jeremy. Jeremy's the one you can't see his face at all, but they're pouring. I think this is on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not sure. Sh- Thursday. And a beautiful day for a big pour. And uh, we got the foundation, most of the foundation in. And, and we have about nine days before we do the slab. So we want to pray that the radical winter weather doesn't come until after we get that done. But we started this building project, and we had prophets, actually, two prophets in the last year, speak to us, say, we believe you're in the Nehemiah season. And so we said, well, let's jump into Nehemiah and see what Nehemiah is all about. Of course, you guys know, we've been telling the story. It's an incredible story about Nehemiah being grieved that the, the walls of Jerusalem were not built, and he goes out, and with God's grace, in 52 days, rebuilds the wall. It's an incredible, victorious story in the natural However, in the spiritual, it's a different, totally different story. And it ends in Nehemiah 13, where Nehemiah comes back. He went back to the king of Persia, the palace of Persia. And after a short time away, he comes back. And he looks, and the house of God is not being taken care of. The Levitical priesthood is out in the fields trying to get their nourishment, their food, because the tithes and offerings have not come in provide for the Levitical priests. So the house of God is in shambles. Worship is not the way it should be. Marriage covenant is not being honored. And Nehemiah, the end of Nehemiah, he just like, he, he actually, 
he actually almost loses his salvation. He hits some people. <laughs> and uh, at the end, he says, oh, God, oh, God, just remember I tried, basically. That's how Nehemiah ends. And so as we're in this Nehemiah season, we'll go, okay, well, that's not what we want. Amen. Turn to your neighbor. That's not what we want. And during the time of Nehemiah, the prophet is speaking into the spiritual lives of God's people. Show this timeline. We're going to look at Malachi today. Malachi. Uh, some people say the Italian prophet, but anyway, he's not. Here he is. He's preaching to the people at the same time Nehemiah is in operation. And so Malachi, Malachi is preaching the word of the Lord, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, when Brenda and I were raising our children, we, we did, kind of talked to, to our children in a way that, like, when they did something nice to one another, we immediately said, well, that makes Jesus happy. And if they were not nice to one another, we would say, well, that makes Jesus sad. And uh, what we're trying to do, and I'm not sure that their behavior changed God's mood at all, uh, but what we're trying to do is make them aware that they're being watched by God. The eyes of the Lord are watching them, and they need to be conscious of the fact that they're going to be accountable. In Malachi, if, you, if I name the title, the day, the day is coming, because Malachi refers to a day where everything is going to be measured by God. And actually, at the end of it, he calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. And throughout scriptures, you see this again and again, the day of the Lord is something that we need to be aware of as God's people as our children, we raise them up to consciousness. There is a day where we're going to be measured before God. In fact, the Bible talks about two judgments. The great white throne judgment, which is the judgment that will determine whether you go to be with God for eternity or you are apart from God in another place for eternity. Then there is the judgment seat of Christ for all those who are going to be with God. All of our lives will be examined for the sake of rewards, say rewards. And that will be a great day. For you and I. And, but this is a day that is referred to in Malachi uh, more than once. And, uh, and before we start talking about what I think we should do is pray. Okay, can we do that? Father, I thank you for the privilege of going to your word. I, I'm reminded of last week how Nathan brought a word, being builders in a deconstruction season or world. And Lord, a lot of deconstruction has gone around the word of the Lord. Destructed ideas and thoughts that are in the word. Tried to change ideas that are not popular. And we don't want to be guilty of that. We want to let the word of God test us, encourage us, uh, uh, correct us if need be, instruct us. So Lord, we come and we make our hearts available, Lord. Can you guys look at me real quick? Can you, can you nod your head if your heart is available for the word? Can you, can you nod? Yeah, all across this room, can you nod? I'm available, Lord. So Holy Spirit, you see that we are a people that want to be shaped by your word. So thank you, God, that you'll teach us and show us the truth about you and about us in Jesus' name. So we're in, and, and the reason I say that is because this particular message I'm going to give is, is a message that brings salt and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in the future. Um, this particular message, the Lord is not pleased with his people. And so 
when I was going through it all week long, I told Carla once, I think I told Brenda once, man, it's hard to read Malachi and stay in a good mood. <laughs> um, but, but I go back to the cross again and again and again, and I get back in a good mood again. The cross can do that for you. Um, but in Malachi, the Lord is not happy with their worship. I want to look at that first. In fact, it says they are apathetic in their worship, and that's actually being very generous to the Jewish people of the time. Let's read what the Lord says to the people of Malachi. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. You present the blind for sacrifice, it is not evil. And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? So what's happening here is the Jews are supposed to bring the first fruits. They're supposed to bring lambs and goats without blemish. And what's happening is the people are not bringing the first fruits. They're bringing their leftovers. And then the priests are accepting the leftovers and defiling the table of the Lord by offering the Lord the leftovers that the people are bringing. And, and the Lord says, Do you, don't you know who I am? I mean, you wouldn't treat your governor, you wouldn't treat your mayor, you wouldn't treat your legislature the way you're treating me. I'm the creator of the universe, and you give me your leftovers. And so they had become apathetic. In fact, at one point it even says, you guys are tired of worshiping me. As I went through Malachi this week, like what I did all week long, is I like, Lord... Test my heart. Test my test. Am I? Is my? Has my worship become apathetic? We know that uh, one of the psalmists says, "Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name forever, forever." David says, Psalm one hundred three. He says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name." And the question I'm asking myself is, like, does my worship exalt God? Do I come to the house of God? And I'm, of course, worship, I'm going to move beyond. Worship is our whole lives, right? Everybody agree? It's not about just how we sing on Sunday. It's how we love our wives, how we raise our children, how we drive down the roads, how we go to work. It's all worship. Say it's all worship. It's all worship. So do, do we worship God with our lives in such a way that he's magnified? That the greatness of him is being lifted up and people like, you must think high of your God for the way that you worship, the way you live your lives. This is the question that out of this I began asking myself. Is my worship filled with fire and love for God? At one point in verse 10, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from you. And then verse 11, he says, man, you guys don't realize who you are. He says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its evening, you don't know who I am. You don't know who you are. I, I chose you, Israel, to be a nation that would declare who I am. My name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, a grain offering that is pure. Everybody say pure. Everybody say pure. For my name will be great among the nations says the Lord. And so, 
how we worship, how we live our lives is to exalt the name of Jesus, to exalt the name of our God. He goes on in verse 13. He, he, he talks some more. I'll read. I hope you have your Bibles open. Malachi 2, 13. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. In other words, the priests recognized the distance of the Lord. In fact, he, this is 400 years, he, entering 400 years of silence. I, I don't know, have you, ever, have you ever, like, blown it with your spouse or your dad or mom, and you go, and you feel like you're getting silent treatment? Anybody? Like, I hope Brenda will talk to me tomorrow. I know I don't deserve it, but I hope she will. 400 years, 15 generations of people of Israel did not hear from the Lord. Until the angel comes to Zacharias denouncing John the Baptist's birth, there was no voice from God because of how displeased he was with his people. Malachi 2.14 He says, yet for this reason, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. What was happening is the the men made divorce very convenient and often um, normal, and they would trade in old models for new models, oftentimes from other nations, which would bring in a competing idol for worship. And so the Lord is saying, you're not keeping your covenants in marriage. You're unfaithful, and they were unfaithful in their marriages, and divorce had become normal and convenient. And, of course, I have to ask myself, okay, am I faithful in my covenant with Brenda? Am I, am I committed to being a husband that demonstrates to my kids and my grandkids that my God, who is a covenant-making God, is the one who rules my life? And we live in a culture that has made divorce normal and commonplace. And I had to ask myself, Lord, as a pastor, have I somehow made way for divorce to be more common, more easy to step into? Now, this is not an easy thing to talk about because many of us in this room have either gone through a divorce or been affected by a divorce, and there's a lot of brokenness and hurt around it. Anybody agree? And so, even as a pastor, as I talk about it, I recognize that, that divorce hurts, and it's not always the man that initiates divorce. And, and sometimes a guy does everything he can or a woman does everything they can and divorce still happens. I recognize all that. And this message is not to bring condemnation or to talk about yesterday. But it is to reestablish what do we believe. And you may be in a marriage situation that, you know, I have. There have been two or three times in my pastoral life that I said divorce is the right answer for you. But that is so rare, and there's a lot of trying that we did, and there was a lot of unfaithfulness that happened before we ever would say it might be the right way to go. But it is not common. And if you're in a place, if divorce is not being divorced, okay, hear me out, not being divorced is not God's highest goal. God's highest goal is that your marriage exalts the Lord. 
And so if you're in a marriage and it's not exalting the Lord, then get help. Get all the help you can get. You, there's resources that our church offers. We have people we can help you with. Some of you have done that, and I understand it didn't work. But I'm telling you, right now, from the bottom of my heart, as a culture, divorce is not the direction we want to go. Amen? And, and I'm in that place where what, I'm, what I want to try to help us get to in this message, where we're going, is something that Hope was referring to. The church is called and commissioned by heaven to be the light of the world. We're the revelation of his realm. We're the revelation of his nature. We're the revelation of his ways. That's the church. And we're to actually be cultural architects. We're also to be the salt of the world, which means that the way we live our lives and the truth that we speak actually bring preservation, preserving grace to our culture. Are, are you with me? And so God actually has commissioned us to be the architect of our culture. And unfortunately, so many times I think the church feel victim to the culture. And we actually allow the culture to begin to define us rather than us actually define the culture. And marriage is one of those areas. God is the one that designed marriage, not man. It was his idea from the beginning. Man doesn't have the right to re redefine it. I should be hearing some amens in this church. I should be hearing some amens in this church. There should be some, yes, I agree with that. We do not have the right to define the ordinance of God, and marriage is an ordinance of God. And it's his idea and his plan that marriage would represent his faithfulness to his people. Israel was his wife. You look at this in Isaiah 54, 5. For your husband, Israel, is your maker. I mean, God is, is the husband to Israel. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The church is the bride of Christ. That's why he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The whole picture is my faithfulness to Brenda demonstrates his faithfulness to his people. Any, any amens? All right. And so we find in Deuteronomy 4.23, I just want, I just, I just want to uh, re go to where the Lord has led me all week. He says, so watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he has made with you, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Now he's jealous for his people, but he's more jealous that he is magnified and glorified amongst his people. And the prophets are often saying to the Israelites, you guys, are, you guys, God wants to bless you, but you keep choosing to go the other way. And because you're going the other way, he has to bring correction. So chapter 3, I'm just going through the whole book today. By the way, I'm not talking about tithes and offerings per se. Say praise the Lord. I will in the future, but not today. At last year, I decided I will not speak about tithes and offerings on PFD. So I guess Carla decided to, I don't know. Anyway, so verse 2 of chapter 3 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fuller's soap was the type of used, uh, soap that was used to wash the sheep and the lamb's wool. So he's coming, he says, I'm coming, I'm coming to um, purify you. 
Will you be able to stand? Will you return to me? One of the beautiful things about God, you guys, it's just like, it's, I, I can remember one of my sons that had fallen short in an area. And, and I was able to come beside him and not judge him, condemn him. I was able to come beside him and say, basically, how can I help you make your way back to God? Because his arms are open wide. Return to me. That's why the Lord says, says, return to me. The beautiful thing about the Lord is he always gives his people an opportunity to repent and come back to him. And so they say, well, how shall we return? In verses 8 through 12. Will the man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, but you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast a scrape, says the Lord of hosts. All nations, listen to this you guys, all nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. God wants to bless our lives. I often say to people, I say, God wants us to be rich if we'll steward wealth well. He wants us to be rich. He wants to be glorified in our wealth. He wants to be known. In fact, Psalm 67 says, I will bless you, the Lord will bless you that the nations may fear my name. So Israel, God wanted to bless Israel. God wants to bless his people, the church. But we have to walk in faithfulness to God. And the third point is they were unfaithful in their tithing, giving, and became robbers of God. Hey, you guys, this message is going to get better. All right? This is not a normal dentist message, but this is the message that as I go to the scriptures, I see. Bottom line, uh, Israel was not faithful because they had no fear of God. They had no fear of God. It's seen several times over. They had no fear of God. A week and a half ago, we had uh, some guys come on our property at Northgate in the evening, and they stole a $5,000 cable from our construction project. And it's not a new happening at Northgate. It's not new in our valley. It's very normal. Uh, but we've had our storage units broken into several times and had things stolen from it. Gabe has worked his tail off trying to help solve the problem. Our sheds over there have been broken into. Why? Because there's no fear of God. There's no fear of God. And unfortunately, in the light of efficiencies, our government has made some decisions and they've reversed some of those, but our laws have become so lenient against criminals, like I talked to Tom, we're talking to troopers about the situation, and he says, but this is about all we can do given the situation, and the teeth of our law has been taken out, and so what we have is we have no fear of God, no fear of the law, what happens in that case? Lawlessness abounds, and that's what's happening in our culture. Now, here's what I want to say. If the church loses the fear of God, our nation has no hope. And he is a mighty God. And he's a powerful God. And he's an almighty God. And 
this scripture goes on to say a great and terrible day of the Lord. And, and unfortunately, we live in a culture, if you're on Facebook or anything like that, you'll see that a lot of pastors are debating on the issue of hell. Is there really hell? And, and a lot of pastors and people in the church are starting to eliminate the doctrine of hell and say, well, it's really just a burning dump uh, close to Jerusalem that he was talking about. And there is no long-term penalty for not obeying or not following Jesus, and it's not that big a deal. And so basically, the church is starting to propagate a doctrine that says there is no place of eternal punishment. But when you, when you go to the scriptures, you can't, you can't legitimately come to that place. And here in Malachi, you can see the same heart. God is like, oh, I want you to come back to me. But since you're not, chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When, Brenda, or when Tanner was in first grade, we got a phone call from his teacher. And, uh, and she said, we need, I need to meet with you. So we met with him, Tanner's first grade. Tanner wasn't in the room, just with him. She said, one of the other teacher's daughters was with Tanner um, last week by the swing set. And Tanner told her that if she didn't believe in Jesus, that she would be apart from God forever and be in hell. And she says, that's pro- probably not a great thing to do. And so Brynn and I said, we understand that. Um, um, but I can, t- I can tell you, I know Tanner, and you guys know Tanner. If he said that, it was, it was full of love. But it's what we believe. And she said, I understand that, but I just want you aware that one of the teachers is her daughter, and she's not happy about it. I said, we'll talk to Tanner. You know what we didn't do to Tanner? We didn't reprimand him. We said, let's reconsider how we contextualize what we're saying. But proud of that guy. Proud of that guy, because he did not water down what the Bible teaches. Now, if you've been here at Northgate for a long time, very long at all, you know this message is not a normal dentist message. And, and I am, have a conviction um, out of the scriptures that God is in a good mood and he's not judging in this hour. In fact, Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And anytime anybody in this room or another room that I'm in attributes a storm or a disaster to the judgment of God, I quickly step in and say, don't attribute things the devil is doing on the earth to God. Because he's not judging right now. This is the age of grace. And it's the kindness of the Lord that he's leading people to redemption. And mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the normal Dennis rhetoric, right? If you've been here, right? However... We can't take away the judgment day from our theology or the way we live our lives or we do not portray the gospel. Three amens. And and people say, well, Jesus was just such a nice guy. I mean, he healed people, and he delivered people, and he saved people, and he fed people, and he helped people that were walking in sin, have hope not to. And I go, yep, that's true. I agree with all of that. 
But there was another side of Jesus. Talk to the coin changers in the temple. There was another side of Jesus. He didn't go to the cross because he was a nice guy. He went to the cross because he was the radical reformer of culture. And popularity was not his goal. That's what God is commissioning this church to be. Radical reformers of culture and popularity cannot be our goal. And so this is out of Jesus' mouth. Mark 9, 42 and 43. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Eight times in three Gospels, Jesus refers to hell as a place of fire, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 8. I love the first couple verses. The rest of it I go, ah. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. How many here love Romans 8.1? Can you quote it with me? There is therefore now, come on, say it with boldness. There is therefore now, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Something different for those who are not. What I want to try to prove to you in the next few minutes before I finish is that love requires judgment. You take away judgment and you no longer have pure love. I'll give you an example on a human level. We were raising children. We raised children in a house that had a main corridor street uh, right in front of us. And, of course, Clay and Tanner and Haley, you know, I mean, they're... Right there, and we get, don't go out in the road. Do not go out in the road. If you go out in the road, you could die, right? And so because of my love, I'm warning them, right? And so if they go out in the road and they disobey me, what happens? All right, you didn't obey me. So if you're not going to be controlled by love, then you're going to be controlled by fear. You get me? All right. No longer are you responding to love here because daddy loves you and he's giving you boundaries. You're going to cross the boundary now. You're going to have to be controlled by fear. Our culture is not afraid because the church is not preaching the hopeful gospel. Are are you hearing me? So Clay didn't, never Clay didn't. Well, Clay probably. (laughs) So Clay goes out in the road. I see him. I'm going... And I whack him. And I say, if you do that again, why? Because I love him, right? What, what does this Proverbs 3 say? Is it Proverbs 13? 
Whoever spares the rod hates their children. I'm not giving you license to go beat your children. Please, I'm against that. I am talking about discipline. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline. If I don't discipline Clay or my kids in that moment, I don't love them very much. What I want to say is fear is not the greatest motivator. But if you're not going to be motivated by love, then God says, then you need to look at the other side. If you don't love God, you need to be afraid, is what I'm saying. You guys are looking at me. This isn't a normal dentist message. This is the word of the Lord. When you take hell out of the equation, you change the behavior of society. And that's what happened in America. Jesus did not deliver us from Disneyland. I was listening to a message by Chris Vallotton last year when I was at the Leadership Advance, and he was addressing this issue himself from different scriptures in a different way. But he had this one story told that I, I would like to tell you this morning. He actually I watched this movie on the airplane. It's called The Skyscraper, and it's a movie uh, about these people building this huge big, in the middle of a city, this huge, monstrous skyscraper. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the actor in the movie, The Rock, everybody say The Rock. And, and he was a Green Beret, and they were looking for somebody to be the security person of this skyscraper. And so he applies, and he's got one leg, you know, he's been in war, but he's been in hundreds of wars, and he's this bad guy, The Rock, you know. And so he becomes the security person, the overseas security of this building, and before they open up this building, they say, we want to bless your family, and there's a penthouse at the top that's amazing. Your family can stay in there the week before they open it. So Rock's family, his wife and his kids and him go up there, and, and one of the days, he's down on the, on the bottom doing whatever security people do and keeping things right, and all of a sudden, he gets a text from his wife in the penthouse, and, and she says, there's a fire, two floors be." below us we have no way out and uh and and so he you know he's going in there and he bests through the door and gets the elevator and it's not working he goes to stairs and he goes to go up the stairs and it's been closed and locked and about this time of course there's bad guys right it's a movie the bad guys had called the police and said there's been a fire started in in this particular skyscraper under construction and your guard, your security guard, started the fire. And so he's outside this trying to figure out how he's going to get up. And all of a sudden the police are hollering at him, stop, stop, stop. Well, he's not going to stop because his family up there and they're in dire straits. He's got to try to figure out how to save them. And so all of a sudden the police are going, stop, 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 you know. And he's running from the police. And they're going, <laughs> you know, it's really dramatic. <laughs> he's running from the police. You know, and all of a sudden there's a crane, and he jumps on the crane, and you know, he's like Spider-Man. This is a movie, you guys. Like Spider-Man, he's going up this crane, and the police are shooting at him. And then on the phone, this message comes across from the bad guys. We got your family. We hate you. I don't know the whole story, so that's all I know. So he's going up the crane, he's going up the crane, the crane takes him to a window, and he bashes through the window and gets in there, and the police chief sees him and says... No man would go through that much to save his family if he started the fire. Listen to me. The depths of hell determine the heights 
of his love. He descended to hell to get the keys of Hades because of his love for mankind and for people. And you take away the judgment and hell, you take away the passion of Jesus Christ. As spiritual architects of our culture, hell has to be part of the story because it's in the Bible, it's truth, and how we live our lives in the fear of the Lord is critical to how people magnify and glorify God. The end of the story is beautiful, Malachi 4. I love the end of the story for several reasons. Let's look at uh, Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. I, I love this picture, this illusion, because I grew up on a farm. And in February and March and April, oftentimes your calves are born in the spring or late winter. And you've got stalls, you keep them. You've got light, so they have some light and some, a little bit of warmth in some cases. And they stay in there because it's too brutal outside. But when spring comes and it gets warmer, you get to release the calves. And it's so fun to watch them like... Jump! I actually was practicing trying to jump up and skip this week. And I only able to do it two out of about ten times, so I decided not to fail in front of you. Besides, my left leg's hurting this morning. I could just see myself trying to jump up and skip and click my heels and fall down. You guys have to come pray for me to be healed. Anyway, it's, just, it's a picture that I love because there's jumping and they're skipping and they're going, Freedom! 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 Aren't you happy that you have been set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ? That freedom should motivate us to live in the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of God that keeps us in the right place. A.W. Tozer says it this way, To know God is to fear Him. And to be stunned by the splendor of his majesty. God exists not just to meet our needs. If anything, we exist to meet his demands. Again, he is the master and we are the servants. He has rights and we have responsibilities. He is to be worshipped and we are the worshippers. God is not just the big guy in the sky or the man upstairs. He's the Lord of hosts, the most high God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Almighty. He is holy, holy, holy. And the only proper response he deserves is one of great reverence and respect. 1 John 4, 15 17, the good news. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he and God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. But this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence, everybody say confidence, in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You guys, I am so looking forward to the day of judgment for me. But there's a lot of people that I love 
I'm not looking forward to the day of judgment for them. That has to motivate us. That has to motivate you as a fisher of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The very last thing, I'll finish out the context here. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the father to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. It's so interesting to me, the gospel is to make the family unit strong. That's the purpose. One of the main purposes. To bring exaltation to the heavenly father. The gospel is to cause my love for my children to be so real and their love for me to be so real that the world takes notice. I have a picture. I want to go back to a picture of Haley. Hey, Haley and Miles. I'll just be really honest with you guys and personal with you. The way I live my life today is with that in mind. Legacy. Legacy. I want them to be able to say, my grandpa, my great-grandpa, my father was faithful because he feared God. And every day that you live, you have an opportunity to build legacy or make choices that tear down legacy. And I live my life in the fear of the Lord for the generations that will hear about my life. I heard of a pastor not too long ago in our valley who fell. He's 70 years old. And I don't say this in any other way to say, but by the grace of God, I'm not going to do that. But I have to have a fear of the Lord. I can't like compromise in little places and expect not to end up in a similar place. Do you hear what I'm saying? You compromise in little places. You have places in your lives right now that you're not fearing God and you're making decisions based on what is comfortable, what is for you. I, I fear for the You won't lose your salvation, but I fear for the ramifications that your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren will pay because of your decision of pleasure. Let's stand. Say, by the grace of God, I will fear God, I will follow God, I will serve God, and people will glorify Him because of my finances, because of my worship, and because of my family commitments. Lord, thank you, God, that you are commissioning a people to be architects of culture. This is a group that's being commissioned today, again, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. To be bold and yet full of love and confident that the scriptures are true and we can build our lives on the word of God and we will not be disappointed. I thank you for this family. I pray grace over each one of them as they process with you the things that you've had me process through this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anybody here that's not sure what it will be like for you on that day of judgment, you're not sure if it's going to be a great day or a terrible day, I want you to come up and talk with me afterwards. I'd love to help you with that because you can look forward to the coming of the Lord. Amen, church? And anybody that doesn't, I want to help you with that. Bless one another. If you need prayer, there are people here. Make sure everybody knows they're loved. Okay? God bless.